show is brought to you by the Human Resource Executive Magazine's HR Technology Conference and Exposition, held October 1st to 4th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Join me and thousands of your colleagues at the world's largest exhibition of HR technology. Act now using the code HREX and you can receive a $300 discount on your ticket. Thanks. We'll see you there. And by the way, don't miss the Women in Technology segment. Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly. One step closer with Stacey Harris and John Seltzer. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm doing well. I'm in writing mode, so I'm home still. Um, We won't start traveling for another two weeks. Looking at my beautiful North Carolina green backyard, but not being able to get out into it because I have been writing, writing, writing day and night. How about you? No, it's a lot. It's a lot the same here. Although, although writing day and night often involves moments of anguish, and right now that's what it looks like mostly here. Yeah. So it's a big news day. There is a lot going on. Yeah, I obviously for as quiet and as it was for the earlier part of August, this as we're wrapping up August and heading into September, we are definitely getting the first look at what probably the rest of the month is going in and heading into October is going to look like as far as news. And it's a lot of news. We end up with Glassdoor getting a new CEO. Now, this, this one's not, I think, as dramatic as it might sound. The new CEO and their founder stepping away to become chairman. The new CEO's been there for a little while, so we can talk a little bit about that. But I think it's pretty big. I mean, Glassdoor is probably one of those companies who, without their sort of influence in the market, we would not see some of the most game-changing approaches to how we think about branding and how we think about employee engagement uh, in some cases as we have today. We also have another big news thing going on this week, earlier part of last week. Oracle directors, for those who follow sort of the the broader Oracle story, not just their Oracle HR technology conversations, but Oracle directors have given blessing to shareholders. There's several shareholders to carry basically a lawsuit against Larry Ellison, who is the founder of Oracle, and Safra Katz, who is there next in line behind Larry. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that. It's in relation to the NetSuite purchase that Oracle did in 2017, and that's definitely going to have, I think, some, some interesting sort of impact and ripples throughout the market over the next couple of months. We also have several acquisitions this week happening, a light to acquire NGA Human Resources. NGA is a sort of consulting slash payroll slash outsourcing organization, very heavily focused in the European market, very, very heavily SAP. And so we can talk a little bit about how a light is continuing to move into that base of technology. Intello acquires Convey IQ. I think you have a lot more detail on that than I do. But Intello continues, I think, to try and figure out where it's standing in this new market around the recruiting talent management space. And then probably the thing that's gotten a little bit of most attention just in, in sort of the recruiting and on the, some of the blog share space is Google shutting down Google Hire in 2020. Now, Google Hire just came out about two years ago. We all had a lot of conversation about how that was going to affect the recruiting space, but we have that. And then there are some funding things that we can talk a little bit about. Jenny AI rebrands its capacity, raises $13.2 million. Allie raised $8 million. Ally, I should say, raised $8 million series for its OKR solution. And then Perceptic received what they call significant investment, not giving an exact amount because they are private, but with the goal of um, increasing their focus on their, their, their brand and, and what they're trying to accomplish in the market. And if we get time, there was a great article that was written by Jessica Richmond, who I actually had the opportunity to interview uh, just yesterday, on why inclusive workplaces still make fat people feel invisible. 
in the Fast Company list of articles, it hit me as, wow, that's, first of all, the language is not something we hear used in the HR space, but there's some great insight in here about HR technology and, and what its place is in this one area of diversity inclusion that doesn't get talked a lot about. So a lot of busy stuff. Where do you want to start at, John? Well, let's race. Let's do something different this week and see how whether or not we can get through all of them. Ready? Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so Robert Homan, Robert Homan, I, I met Robert Homan right when he was starting Glassdoor. And so what this means is he sold the company, he got it running, and now he's going to go off and try other things while he keeps his fingers in the pie. This is exciting. Glassdoor was a surprise. It made a big difference. And you had some interesting things to say about it. Yeah. I mean, Glassdoor to me was, it was the early stages of what the internet could be and could do, right? That's how I always looked at it. It changed the dynamic. Now, at the end of the day, it's still basically a, a recruiting sourcing tool. That, that That's what where it makes most of its money off of. But it changed the dynamics about how you do that by giving a voice to a population that oftentimes didn't have a voice in what was going on inside their organizations. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not they sell the branding and, and whether or not, you know, those voices are legit. And, and, you know, we always have that when we're coming to groundswell, ground source data. But I can tell you there hasn't been a job that I've gone for or a job resume that I've helped someone build or a job search I've helped someone go through that we haven't talked about Glassdoor in the last five years in this way, right? That as a thing you have to go look at before you make a decision about any company. So I think they really changed the market a lot. Now, what I was interested in, I didn't realize, I actually thought they might be a little bigger. They currently have about 1,000 employees, and they're serving 67 million people worldwide each month with their sort of latest jobs paired at 50 million reviews. I actually thought they were a little bit bigger than that, to be completely honest. I think they're one of those companies that probably has a huge impact and, and, and isn't really as big as people probably think they are at some point. Right? Oh, a thousand, a thousand employees and 67 million uh, monthly visits is is pretty big for a job board. Is that that's, okay? That, so the job that's, board that's, market, that's, yeah. that's pretty big for a job board. Yeah, and, and they don't really they don't really have non job board businesses. And since they were bought by the Japanese company Recruit, it's probably not likely that they're going to grow their functionality out. So that seems the right size. Well, seems and chairman right. means that, like you said, there still be a thumb, there still be a bit of insight and and advice being given through the company, right? But will not be worked on day-to-day running or any of the big decisions now that they've got a new president and new CEO now, correct? Yeah, you can do that a lot of different ways, but one would assume they'd make an announcement like this because the new guy is going to be actually running things on a day-to-day basis. And we haven't had an opportunity to talk much um, with Glassdoor themselves about how this might change anything they're doing. I think some of the bigger changes was when they were acquired, so this probably, I don't assume, will change too much. I mean, do you expect that this would change things a great deal in the, inside the company? No, nah, this is a sort of a natural progression. The other big news, I think, you know, just from a news perspective, is this lawsuit for Larry Ellison and Oracle. I, this one, I, you know, I had heard about it a couple of days ago. Someone said, hey, have you heard this? It didn't come up on a lot of the HR tech news wires, so it hadn't sort of hit my radar yet. And when I went and started looking at it, this seems big, but I, I, you know, again, I don't follow the, the stock market all that closely. And this has a lot to do with the investors and the shareholders and their perspective about what Larry did in his purchase of the NetSuite product. This one really was, NetSuite was bought by Oracle 
and Larry, by, and particularly, you know, Larry Ellison and Zephyr Katz are being named in this court-approved shareholder lawsuit about the NetSuite purchase for $9.3 billion when they acquired it. It's not the largest acquisition in the tech space, but it's up there. It's like one of the top five or something like that, they have said. And the idea, I guess, is that they feel like they purchased this and it hasn't basically given the boost that both Larry and the team said it would give to the Oracle bottom line. Is this something that happens, the corporate shareholder stock market space? And maybe we don't often hear about it as much because it's usually behind the scenes and it's just part of something we're hearing about because it's a founder being sued for this? What do you, what do you well, know about these kind of things? Scott? Well, so this is, you know, the, the world is changing in its perception of the business practices of Silicon Valley. And this is, let's be clear about what this is. Larry Ellison started, while Larry Ellison was the chairman of the board and the CEO of Oracle, Larry Ellison started NetSuite with the entire intent of selling it to Oracle. Right? That was the game plan from day one. And so mm, there's a conflict of interest there that's pretty astonishing. And when you, when, <laughs> yeah. when, when you understand that, that of the nine point whatever billion dollars that they paid for NetSuite, Larry's the one who got the big bag of money, right? So this is, you know, this is juiced up, but this is something that if, if I tried to do this someplace, there, were, there might be local government involved <laughs> in <laughs> investigating what I was doing, right? And so the suit is brought by a group featuring Leon Panetta, right? So these are savvy big time serious players and they have a problem with the ethics of the deal and they particularly have a problem with the ethics of a deal because they were sold a bill of goods about what the deal would do yeah and, right? and, that, and that i think is the thing that sort of threw me is that well did they object to this earlier and are they only objecting to it because now they just didn't get the money back they were expecting to get back out of it right is, is, is that is that really the fundamental is it the ethics or is it the financial component that's leading well, us. What you can't tell, and I don't know the answer to, because uh, you and I are not inside enough, is yeah. how much of the board Larry Ellison controls. Yeah. Right. And and this reads like this. Re this is this is a horrible thing to hear. This reads like the board has fractured, and there are people on the board who are so upset about this that they've gone through the legal process of getting the suit approved. It's called a derivative lawsuit, and it's a derivative lawsuit because this group of people believes that the board of directors should have sued their CEO, yeah. and the rest of the board doesn't believe that, right? And so this, this is a board that has a serious problem. This is a symptom of a much larger serious problem, and... The reverberations inside of Oracle must be extraordinary. I was just going to say, I mean, there have been obviously lots of board. I mean, we, we just we saw some of the challenges going on with ADP not too long ago and their board and shareholders, but and activist shareholders on, on that front. But this feels very like, like you said, you know, like there's there's so much fighting here. Is this going to have an impact on people who are buying Oracle products? I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how much this will have an impact on the company. Do companies go through this and come out the other end and are generally fine? I don't know the answer to that. We might have to go to a financial analyst who probably give us some better insight on that. But it's just jarring to hear it, right? When you know that 
the people who are working on the products are trying desperately to make that the focus that, you know, the products and what they're doing. And then you also have to think about the stability of the company when you're talking about those kind of things, correct? Yep. Yep. It's going to be very interesting. In this particular article, there's a chart showing relative vendor market share in the enterprise software business. Yeah. So that's a surprise to me. Oracle and SAP are about the same size. Adobe, Salesforce, and Microsoft are the big players in the enterprise software market. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, when you think about the number of products and the amount, now this doesn't particularly, I think, talk about you know, sort of cloud versus not cloud and where that sits. And I think you know there has to be a lot of conversation about that when you're looking at because Google's like down in that next 10 group, right? So is uh, ServiceNow working in Cisco. But when you're talking about total vendor market share and revenue growth and enterprise uh, applications, yeah, there is, I think, some interesting things here to see about and people, I think, were expecting this NetSuite product, which because Oracle was a little behind in the cloud conversation, to push Oracle up into one of those top three spots, and it didn't. It's, I think, what I'm hearing, or at least what I'm seeing reading through the notes on this one. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So Alight is acquiring NGA. Alight is a financial management company, an investment bank, I guess, and it's buying NGA. So this is, a, this is essentially a private equity deal, yeah? So Alight used to be, they're an outsourcing company for healthcare, wellness, human capital management, as well as the financial management of the 401ks and everything. So they do retirement funds and stuff like that. So they were, I'm going to get this wrong, but I, they were previously, I want to say Towers Watson, but I could be wrong on that. I'll have to go back and take a look. Someone's probably going to email us and let me know. But it, it was it was one of those, I think it's Aon Hewitt actually, who they were. Aon Hewitt uh, turned into a light, which then ended up becoming sort of a larger than life. We've talked about them a little bit in the last couple of radio shows. They've been acquiring little technologies and, and little companies and what they're doing in the health and wellness space. This is a p- pretty big acquisition because NGA not only does outsourcing and payroll and not only does probably some of the largest sort of European specifically sort of payroll managed services, you know, uh, models. They also have their own technology. They they, they have a, a piece of technology called Eureka HR that they have sort of HR systems. They have sort of their own version of SAP's payroll, which is which is very much customized to meet the needs of the European market in many cases. They're probably one of the first organizations to really deal with the GDPR issues. I know I went over and had a conversation with them after about two years ago after a European event that they had. NGA has been a pretty big player. They put out the annual payroll complexity index that we talked about not too long ago. This is a big acquisition for Alight, and I think we're going to find that this will create a very interesting organization that has strength in payroll, health and wellness, benefits, retirement, in a way that I don't know that anybody else has at this point, at least, you know, in total, besides maybe the big, big guys like Deloitte or, or uh, Accenture. So. so this is a new consultancy, right? Mm-hmm. Alight has 11,000 employees, so that would be a big deal. Yeah, it would be a very big deal, and it give them a very big uh, foothold in the European market as well. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Zipping through, we've got Intello acquires Convey IQ. And this is interesting to me for one reason. Convey IQ is a company founded by Danielle Weinblatt, um, and it's a kind of an extension of the work that she did in the early days of video interviewing. But mm-hmm. she has now sold her company 
after she graduated from Harvard Business School in June. This is this is this is <laughs> one of the most awesome women entrepreneurs you've ever seen. Okay. Right? She's running this company, she changed it, she repositioned it. She started it maybe as long as seven or eight years ago. And at year six, she went to Harvard Business School. Full time. Yeah. Full time. <laughs> Full time while running the company. Amazing. Amazing. She is she is just a super high energy, persuasive, productive entrepreneur like you've never seen before. And, and, so this and is do you a, think she'll be staying with the Intel organization, or is this a, a sell, and then now she's going to go on to her next thing? Do you think on this one? I have no, I have no idea. But this certainly isn't her last stand. This is this is the first thing, and the question of whether she stays in the industry will be interesting. It, it, it would be nice to figure out how to keep her in the industry. We definitely need more women entrepreneurs who are sort of making brands and making names for themselves. It generally seems that they end up being shifted out in many cases through some of these acquisitions. But, you know, one of those brands that's been around for a very long time, uh, do you think this acquisition is going to help sort of revive a bit of their energy in the in the recruiting market? Is that part of what they're doing here? Well, that's, I mean, I mean now you look at the deal, and the deal is trying to breathe life into a drowning entity. And, you know, and so Intello has just been bypassed by the last several years of investment in high stakes, AI oriented stuff in the industry. And so and so this is what they have to do to keep up with the fact that a class of their competitors are expanding their functionality so that they're full service shops. Right. And this is probably the result of getting beaten in the market by people with better and deeper functionality. And so this is a necessary competitive deal for them. And one of the challenges of being first to market is sometimes you end up being a little bit older. And if you don't change with the market as quickly as everyone else is coming in, that's what happens. You, now, let's, you know, we'll, it'll be interesting to see where Intel goes with this and maybe by getting some new skill sets as well as getting the new products that might change a lot of things. So, but we we have to go before we leave. Talk about Google and shutting down Google Hire, John. This was all over the conversation boards this week. Everybody had a comment or an opinion or perspective about Google Hire. And one of the big opinions was that Google Hire seems to be really liked by the people who are using it, or at least that's that's the common sense. And when you read through a lot of the articles, is why is Google Hire shutting down? So two years ago, Google basically had they actually had acquired a, another company that had a bit of the sort of uh, called Bebop that had some of the sort of elements of Google Hire, worked on it and created Google Hire and launched it two years ago and scared the hell out of pretty much every ATS, at least SMB ATS out in the market because they thought they were going to eat their lunch, I think, in some cases. And now they're just saying they're done with it. In 2020, they're just going to shut down shops. And now for the moment, until they close it down, they will be giving it away for free to everybody who's using it. So no more license fees. What do you make of this, John? <laughs> I am a proud owner of Google Glasses. That's what I, that's what I make of this. That's what it is. This, this company, so Google minds customer idealism. That's what they do for a living, right? And so they, I'm a pretty happy user of Google products and pay not insubstantial amounts of money for Google products in the office and mail suite, right? It's a necessary component of my work. And 
they just can't, they just don't seem to be able to stick to anything else. <laughs> right. So it's like a whole Every- company with, a, with ADD, a really bad case of ADD. Um, <laughs> And, and, that's, it, and that's weird, and it's disruptive. You know, they come they come into a marketplace, they jump up and down and shake the marketplace seventeen because they're big, right? This is a gorilla yeah. coming in coming into your camper trailer, and they jump up and down, they shake the camper trailer around, and then they get bored and leave. <laughs> and so I find I was thinking about it this morning. You know, the discipline with which they decide to exit is something that lots of people could learn from. Mm-hmm. But it is like going to the dentist and surprise, he just pulled three of your teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't really want to be able to eat that that steak, honestly, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing for me on this one is the thing about Google is, is there anything that will make the kind of money that they're advertising, make, which is where they make most of their money off of these days, right? They've been investing heavily in their cloud and then the cloud work that they're doing as well. So these small little initiatives they put out into the market, and as you said, shake up a market, it feels almost like they're either unaware of the chaos they tend to create, or they are aware of it and they're okay with it, feeling like that's part of, of what their role is in the market. Do you think they care about the chaos or is it literally we're thinking we could make some money. If it doesn't make money in two years, we're out of it. That's, the, that's all that they're thinking about. So I'm sure it's much more sophisticated than that, right? Do they care about the damage they do? Oh, Stacy, I don't think they're capable of seeing the damage they do, but they have a, an insular culture that doesn't understand the consequences of its behavior. But that said, there's real solid information here. If Google can't make an applicant tracking system business really work in the small to medium sector where they know how to deliver goods and services, they can't make that financial proposition work. And because they're a beta test company, they have analytics out the kazoo about what works and what doesn't work and how to tell when to quit, how to tell when you've got something. They know all of that. Then you have to wonder about everybody else who's in that part. That's a good question. Is is the applicant tracking environment, is is there something else that might be replacing it? Maybe that's the direction that they're seeing that no one else is, right? Which I think we've had a lot of conversations about. No, no, no. There are a lot of companies selling ATSs in the SMB sector. And I don't know about you, but I've always wondered what in the world a hundred person company needs an ATS for. Yeah. Right? Because they're generally tools for regulatory compliance. Right. And so it's a questionable value plus reaching the SMB market is really hard. If Google can't penetrate the SMB market, then somebody who's doing it with an advertising budget, ah, uh, you have to wonder about the viability of a whole bunch of companies who are out in the market now. And that's easy to miss because the gorilla is jumping up and down inside of the camera grill. Gotcha. Well, you know, there's still money going into this industry. So uh, real quickly, I know we have just a few moments, but this has been a big announcement. But we also have some, some money still coming in. Jane AI, uh, rebranded as Capacity, they're raising $13.2 million. They're one of the chatbot companies, I think, that you've been talking so much about. Of course, they're now describing their, their system as a knowledge-sharing platform. But uh, did you do any in, interviews with Jane AI? So, and, so, and, so, so these are mm, the people at Jane AI are the second smartest people in the business. 
For the most, right? Yeah. And well, well, yeah. I, 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 I'm in a, I'm in a space and time where I'm meeting a lot of really, really smart people who are coming out of the woodwork with their products now. But the folks at Jade AI actually understand the complexities of installing tools that help that have a conversational interface and help people understand stuff about the company. And they have by far the most sophisticated view of that. They're a little fractured in the way they approach the market. They chase a lot of different kinds of enterprise stuff, but they are, by leaps and bounds, the smartest full-service conversational interface that you can get. And they think about it as knowledge management because what they do yeah. is give people a conversational interface to policies and data and all of the stuff that's in corporate documentation. Well, we'll be hearing probably more about them under the new brand of capacity. I think the last statement here is sort of interesting. If you think of Microsoft Office as a productivity suite and you think of Adobe's Creative Cloud as a creative suite, I want people to look at capacity as the automation suite that helps people do their best work. So we've talked a lot about that. That is sort of the next generation of conversation and knowledge, and that seems to be where they're heading. So interesting. Yep. We'll watch definitely where they're at. And then we also have Ally raising $8 million and Perceptix raising Perceptix is another artificial intelligence, more predictive analytics type of tool as well. Any of these that you sort of have had an opportunity to talk with? Ally interests me. It's, it's, an, it's an OKR, Objectives and Key Results, another Silicon Valley. Key terms being thrown around a lot. Tracker and Perceptix, as I said, is an analytics tool. Just more money in some of the areas I think that we've talked quite a bit about previously as well. Yeah, but it's just raining money. It's just, it's just raining money. <laughs> So, so we've reached the end, and we covered an enormous terrain today, and we didn't get to the one bit of enormous terrain, and so let's start with that next time. I think that's a good idea, because I think Jessica Richmond's done, I think, some interesting groundbreaking conversations, at least, in the area of diversity and inclusion, and we'll talk about it next week. So, all right, it's been a good call, John, um, as always, and me and you are going to get back to our writing efforts yeah. right now. There you go. Thanks, Stacey. Great conversation, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.